Uh, that being said, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm sure you do, I uh, would love for you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 11 tonight. We are going to uh, be journeying through uh, some Old Testament chapters and then we'll end up in the New Testament, Luke chapter 22. Uh, probably, I think most of you made it through Wednesday at least in your Sunday night study. Uh, we I gave you a handout that laid out the, the whole week of a Passion Week from Sunday to Sunday, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. Um, and uh, I, I know most of you, uh, all of you made it at least through Wednesday. And, and if you made it past that, that's great. If you took it home and studied and, and, and looked into it yourself, that's great. Um, but of course, tonight and then Friday and Sunday, we'll be talking about some of the back half of the lesson that you took home with you on Sunday. Uh, Good Friday, of course, we'll talk about Friday and and, and Easter Sunday, we'll talk about the coming Sunday. But tonight, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the evening prior to uh, Jesus' death on the cross, which of course was Thursday evening. I know it's Wednesday, so a little bit of a, of, of a of trick in your mind, right? Tonight's Wednesday, but we're talking about Thursday, if, if you can follow along with me. Uh, we're talking about Thursday evening, April the 2nd, 33 AD. It's pretty amazing that through uh, study and research and, and putting the history books together, we can pinpoint the day and the week, the dates on the calendar for uh, that such important uh, week, such important week, 2,000 uh, years ago or, or less, uh, Thursday evening, April 2nd, 33 AD. Millions of Jews gathered in their homes on that evening throughout Judea, around the Mediterranean region, to celebrate Passover. Uh, the proper ceremony would come the following Friday afternoon. The Passover sacrifice was done at high noon on Friday, uh, on Friday but uh, the prior evening uh, was when the Passover meal took place. What you would do if you were part of the, uh, if you were in the Jewish faith, uh, that Wednesday, that Thursday, you would go to the temple uh, and you would bring your lamb and the priest would take your lamb and they would, uh, they would kill it and they would separate uh, the different parts of the lamb and they would burn parts of it. They would take parts of it and they would preserve it for a sacrifice and they would give you, they would package up some of the meat and they would give it to you and they would say, go home and celebrate this meal with your family. Uh, and we'll talk about exactly what part of the lamb they would eat as a family. Uh, but the proper ceremony, the Passover meal, would be that Thursday evening um, every year uh, prior to uh, the, the Friday uh, public and corporate worship service. Now, I, I want to give you a little background information about Passover. Maybe you've wondered this before. Maybe you know a lot about it. This will just be a refresher for you tonight. Uh, but I want to talk about Passover and maybe something you've noticed about Passover and maybe something you've noticed in association about Easter is that it's a moving target on the calendar. Sometimes Passover and Easter is the end of March. Sometimes it's the later part of April. This year it happens to be kind of at the beginning of April, so in the middle of when it could be. Uh, the reason why, if you've ever wondered, hey, why does, April, why does Easter move around and, and Easter is the same date every year, or Christmas is the same date every year? If you ever wondered that, uh, there's a reason, uh, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of information about that tonight. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but I think it'll be useful uh, for us all. Um, it has to do with the Hebrew calendar, uh, which is different than ours. Uh, we, we use the Gregorian calendar, uh, the Roman calendar that was put in place uh, about 1,500 years ago. Uh, we use the Gregorian calendar, but, and modern Israel does too, uh, but the 
Jewish religion still observes the religious calendar that was put in place a long, long time ago, back in the days of Moses. Uh, the Hebrew calendar is based on the lunar cycle, that's the moon, uh, whereas our calendar is based on the solar cycle, which is the sun. Uh, our calendar is based on the Earth's rotation around the sun. The ancient Hebrew calendar was based on the moon's rotation around the Earth. So you can see uh, that that would be a little bit of, would, would result in a little bit of different schedule. Um, so that being said, the first Passover, the first Passover, the original Passover, took place on the 15th day of Nisan. Uh, that's a Hebrew month. And in fact, it's the first month of the Hebrew calendar. So the Hebrew New Year, the religious New Year for the Jews, started in the springtime, uh, not in the wintertime like it does for us. So the 15th day of the first month, the 15th day of Nisan, is when Passover took place uh, originally. And that's the day that is celebrated every year. Um, so that day in history is the day according to the Jewish calendar, according to Jewish history, um, uh, is when the first Passover took place. And what's significant about that day and the way they can figure out when it was and how to make sure they always celebrate Passover on the same day is the 15th of Nisan was a full moon. It was a full moon and it always is a full moon. Now you've probably noticed in your Bibles before if you're reading the Old Testament, that there's a reference to full moons a lot, or there's references to the festival or the feast day being on a full moon. And if you've ever read verses like this, Psalm 81, blow the trumpet at the new moon and at the full moon on our feast day. There's a lot of verses like that. And if you've ever wondered, why do they always talk about the full moon? And why do they talk about the cycles of the moon? Because their calendar was based on the moon. And especially important, Passover was always on the, the full moon in the month of Nisan, which always takes place on the 15th day. Uh, the reason for which is tied to the very first festival, the very first Passover, which is where they kind of you know, allow what they steered the rest of their calendar and based the rest of their calendar off, off of, Passover took place on the 15th day of Nisan, which was a full moon. Now, you might wonder, what's the significance of all that? There's something very significant about it that the Jews thought was such a big deal, and it is a big deal. Uh, remember, they were in Egypt during, and we'll read about this in a little bit. They were in Egypt during the time that they celebrated the first Passover. And for the Egyptians, uh, the month that the Jew, the month of Passover, the month of Nisan for the Jews, uh, it was a month called Aries, according to the Egyptian calendar, according to the Egyptian culture. And during the month of Aries, the Egyptians worshipped the god of Aries, which was a ram god, a god that they, uh, that they, in the sky, they would connect the stars, and it looked like a ram. It looked like a goat with these big horns. The ram God, as with many other gods, the Egyptians believed that their gods were at the peak of their power when the moon was full. Because the moon, when it was full, it would glow and the stars would shine brighter around it. So the Egyptians believed that the gods they served were strongest or at their strongest and at the peak of their power when the moon was full. And it was on the day of the full moon that Passover took place. So consider this, the Jewish God, the only God, flexed his muscle once and for all through the sacrifice of a lamb under the moonlight of the Egyptian ram. You start to see it come together, don't you? 
God used the foolish and the weakest uh, idea to undermine and overwhelm the one who appeared to be stronger and greater. God always uses the foolishness of the world and the weak things of the world to topple the pride of those who think to be strongest and think to be greatest. So, the Jews developed their calendar during this wilderness period that followed the Exodus, uh, and the starting point for their calendar was this Passover moment. And going forward, they followed the lunar trend so that Passover would always fall on the 15th day of their first month, which comes later in the year compared to our first month. Again, the month of Nisan takes place in the spring, and that's why Passover and Easter are always moving up and down the calendar because we don't follow the same cycle as they do. But according to the Jewish calendar, Passover is always going to be on the full moon that takes place after spring arrives. The first full moon after spring. That is the month of, that is the 15th day of Nisan. And they can, they have charted it all out and they back up and they start the first day based on when the full moon comes and then their rest of the calendar is based off of that. So, for the Jews, according to their religious calendar, it's on the same day every year, the 15th of Nisan. But for us, it moves around because our calendar is based on the sun, so the months are longer and the year is, is longer based on, we have more months and more days in the year based on that, that cycle. Uh, uh, now, according to that calendar, the Jewish day starts at 6 p.m. also. So, if you ever wondered why in Genesis it says it was evening, then morning, uh, the Jews start their days at 6 p.m., not 12 a.m., so the Passover meal was celebrated on the evening, uh, the 14th day at the evening time, but that was really when the 15th they started. So right now, we would already be on Thursday, uh, according to their calendar. I know that's a little bit technical, a little bit confusing, but I wanted to kind of let you understand how all this works out. So on Passover evening, this very evening, uh, in 33 AD, um, the Passover would take on a brand new meaning, one that nobody saw coming. The most devout and, and, and dedicated Jews had made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, uh, a town normally populated by 25,000 would skyrocket to 250,000 during the Passover season. And if you didn't already know, Passover was such an important holiday, the most important holiday, because it symbolized and it represented Israel's origin story as a nation and as a people with their own home. Uh, now, most every one of you have probably heard this story before, but it's worth hearing again so that we might understand why it was so important and why it carried so much weight for the Jews, especially during this particular period of Israel's history. So, the history of the Jews predates the story of Israel. Uh, you probably knew that, uh, but it can get confusing if you're not careful. Um, the Israel story doesn't begin in Exodus. It actually begins where most things begin in the book of Genesis. Now, you know the story, how everything started. God made Adam and Eve. They rebelled against him, and when they rebelled, all of humanity fell with them. And it was a, humanity and the world was at a pretty dark place, not a few not a few thousand years into the world's existence. So that's where I want to show you from some verses from Genesis 6. This is what the Bible says about the world. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. 
the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. So God saw that humanity was completely in rebellion against him, but Noah found grace in God's eyes. What did Noah do to get, to get God's grace? Nothing at all. But God's heart was moved towards Noah. As Noah believed in him, God said, I'm going to spare the world for this one man. So God went to redeem creation through the family of Noah. Noah and his three sons were put on the ark with a remnant of the animals. And God chose one of Noah's sons especially, one of his sons especially, uh, through which he would work to redeem all of creation. And that one son was named Shem. And if you read the different uh, children that come from Noah's three sons, uh, there's one particular lineage to pay attention to. Genesis 10 verse 21 says that to Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber. Now, if you've, if you've ever heard of the, of the word Semite, um, that comes from Shem. Um, Shemite or Semite refers to the people uh, of a particular part of the world. You've probably heard of anti-Semite, which is referred to people who are against the Jewish people. Semite comes from Shem. So God especially put his hand on Shem, and one of Shem's grandsons was named Eber. And it was through Eber that God would continue to put his favor on, and God would begin to plan the redemption story. So meanwhile, while all that's going on, the world is not getting any better. Uh, actually, things are actually getting worse. Uh, the people uh, after the flood come together in one city under one king in the place called Babel and the land of Shinar. Uh, an unnamed king lead the people to basically rewrite history. Uh, they don't need God anymore. Uh, they have themselves. They build a tower for the glory of mankind, and they rally together to build this tower to make their own name great and basically say to God, we don't need you, we have each other, we have ourselves. So God, in an act of mercy, confuses the people who had one tongue, confuses them, and from that moment, the world begins to separate. And from that moment, they were all in one place, under one language, and in one land, and they begin to disperse throughout the land, and that's where the nations that exist today find their origin story. The people begin to separate as they are all confused and confounded in their language. And after the years go by, the people realize that they needed some answers. They needed something to guide them through the darkness that they had uh, been immersed in. And the people begin to create religions. And there begin to be priests who try to make sense of the world and try to make sense of all that was broken. And that's where all the different religions come from. As they begin to make idols and begin to make these gods that are in the images of animals, in the images of the world, trying to make sense of what they just couldn't understand. Why was the world broken? Why did people continue to die? And why was there so much hate and violence against each other? And why did people not even, couldn't even control their own uh, emotions? So God looks down at this chaos. God looks down at all the confusion and all the conflict and all the different religions that are sprouting up from every corner of the world. And God decides that he would start his own nation 
and reveal himself anew. And through that one nation, he would make himself known. And then that one nation, he would make a light to the world. And through that one nation, he would make himself known to the world. So he would undo all that, 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 that had unraveled from Eden and unraveled from Babel. He would begin to chip away at reversing the order of creation and getting things back to where it was always meant to be under one God. He would work through this one nation to try to redeem the world. So the story goes, the people of Eber became known as Hebrews. You see the letters there? E-B-E-R, E-B-R-E, that's where the Hebrew word comes from. The children of Eber, the Hebrews, or the Hebrews. God would choose the Hebrews to begin his redemption story and to begin reaching the world one person at a time. And God chooses one of Eber's great, 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 great grandsons to start the ball roll in the right direction. So that's where we begin our reading tonight. Genesis chapter 11, verse number 27. We'll read through chapter 12, verse number three. You've heard this text before, but it's important that we hear it in the context of all that we've talked about tonight. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the native land of Ur of the Chaldees. Then Abram and Nahor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. So all this is very accurate, considering that it took so long ago. We have, we have such detail. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his son, grandson Lot and the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. But then the text gives us some detail about why they begin to wonder why they begin to move. And, and just, in, just so you know, the word Hebrew literally means a wandering people, a people that did not have a home, that were looking for a home. And of course, God was gonna solve that problem in these next few verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and also give you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and I will curse him who curses you and in you or because of you and from you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I gotta say, little did Abram know just how significant those words would be. 4,000 years later, everybody on the planet has heard of Abram, haven't they? 4,000 years later, everybody knows the story of Abram. Everybody knows the story of Abram's children. Everybody knows what nation came from Abram and what God did through the people of Abram. And not just because of the Jewish people, but we Christians cling to Abram. And even the people of Islam cling to Abram because Abram is such an such a, a important point in history. And from Abram, literally, the world finds so much direction and finds so much meaning. And even people that don't rightfully have, an, have, a, have a claim to him still cling to him because of the importance of him and the greatness of his name. So God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a home. 
and through you and through the nation that you're going to create, it's going to bless the world. It's going to change the world. So God would slowly reveal himself to Abram, and later he would change his name to Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Now, now here's a little bit of a, a, a fun fact. If you want to be, be a famous person, you don't change your name halfway through your life. That's going to be confusing for the history books. But it wasn't a problem for Abram, was it? And it wasn't a problem for Jacob. But why does God keep doing this? Because God wants to make it, make it very well documented that this is a work that he was doing. Nobody was doing this on their own because if it was done on their own uh, ingenuity, it would have never worked out because nobody would have even been able to trace people's name back to the right person because everybody kept changing their names. God kept doing that to prove, hey, it's me that's doing the work. Pay attention to me. These are just people that I'm using for my glory. So... Jacob is changed to Israel. Now, why did God choose Jacob to call Israel and tell Jacob, hey, you're going to be the nation. You're going to be the foundation for this great nation that I promised your grandfather. Well, Jacob had many sons. And through a wild series of events, Jacob and his many sons end up in Egypt. First as guests of honor, but eventually as slaves to the empire. But this was part of God's plan. Remember God's word to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never owned any land. Jacob's sons never owned any land. They wandered around. They did what their name suggested. They were Hebrews. They wandered. But then they come to Egypt. And through the miraculous event of the Egyptian story, they become recognized as a force to be reckoned with. And isn't it amazing? That God would use a slave state to overturn the Egyptian empire from within. Israel would leave Egypt destined for a promised land feared by all in their path. So God raised up a Hebrew named Moses who would perform signs and wonders and win the trust of his people. And if you would, turn over to Exodus 7 and listen to God cast his vision over Moses Give Moses his game plan about how he's going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and how he's going to take a step closer at changing the world. Because what was God's promise to Abraham? I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the world is going to be blessed or receive the favor from God. But come on, how is anybody going to be blessed through a nation that doesn't even have a home? How is anybody going to be blessed through a people that don't even have a nation to call their own? How is anybody going to be blessed through a people that became slaves to a much stronger nation and were at the risk of being killed off? God says, Moses, don't you worry. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have a plan. I put you in slavery so that I might bring you out of slavery for my glory. I'm still going to make a great nation out of y'all. And when I bring y'all out of this mess, it's going to be undeniable the power behind you. It, Exodus 7 says, The Lord said to Moses, I have made you as a God to Pharaoh, or in the place of God. Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak what I command you. Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh and to send the children of Israel out of his land. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people and the children of Israel 
out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And why is all this happening? Verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on, the, on, on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. When I bring you out with, spoil, with, with, with all the spoils of Egypt, when I bring you out a rich and wealthy people, I bring you out a people who are ready to be established in your own land. When I bring you out of this empire through the miraculous circumstances that are about to happen, the world will know that Israel is a force to be reckoned with and the world will know that Israel's God is the one true God. Just watch and see. So God sent plagues to Egypt, judging its gods with each one, improving the Hebrews, his power and might. And finally, as the Egyptians near uh, its celebration of the ram God, God told Israel about his great and final plan. They would escape the horns of the ram through the blood of a lamb. They would escape the horns of the mighty ram God through the blood of a baby lamb. The small state of Israel is going to topple the empire of Egypt through the blood of the lamb. Over in Exodus 12, we'll read about how God would save Israel from, de- from Egypt. But there was a greater enemy than just Egypt that they needed to be aware of. Egypt was just the front of the actual enemy, sin and death. And through Passover, God would show his power over both sin and death. And, and specifically... Passover would be both a picture of God's mercy and God's wrath. Because on Passover, God would pull back his mercy and allow his wrath to punish people for their sin and be taken by death. The death angel would sweep over the lamb on Passover night and would take everybody that was not under the blood of the lamb. So God's wrath was going to take away sin and death were the true enemies showing their true power on that night. Sin and death would sweep over the land unless the household was covered by the lamb's blood and if it was covered by the lamb's blood the blood would carry the mercy of God and save them from their greatest enemies. So all that in mind I want you to listen to how Exodus 12 tells the story. We're going to read through verses 20, so a lot of information, but I want you to hear it all, and now you know the context for it all. Pay close attention to what God tells Moses. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So he's establishing their calendar, and they don't even know what day it is, based on they haven't had a calendar. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, underline that phrase, a lamb, if you will, according to the household of his father, a lamb for each household. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor take, next to him, take it according to the number of the person. So if you were a small family, you could do this as a group of people. That's the the, the story there. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So notice it was a lamb. Now it's the lamb. So there's, there's, the first time you hear about it, it's just an option. 
But then God specific says it's the only option. But then verse 5, your lamb. You see the transition there? From a lamb to the lamb, and now it's personal. It's your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So the 14th day of Nisan, the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and entrails. So this would be later on done in the temple. But initially they were doing it in their own homes. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Your remains of it until morning shall burn with fire. So uh, the, the, that, that would be done corporately in the future. Uh, the whole nation would burn uh, the sacrifice together. Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And he explains why. Because when this happens, when the, they put the blood on the doorpost, and then when the evening comes, God was going to do something to get Egypt's attention. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the, against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day you shall, shall be a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast for an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, for on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. Whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So he goes on to explain they would celebrate it for a week. So Passover would take place across a whole week um, uh, from, from that day forward. Down at verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And the first month on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day. So this was a whole week long celebration. Now, the rest of the story is told to us down in verse number 33 where God brings the death angel, the Egyptian firstborns are killed, the Jews are spared, and then the word comes down from Pharaoh. The Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead if y'all don't leave our country. Down at verse number 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. It came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt because of what they did that night and what God did that night. So Israel was saved that night and established free from Egyptian bondage. They began their journey to the promised land that night and would never look back. Every year, they celebrated Passover with a lamb's shin bone, unleavened bread, and a cup of wine. The unleavened bread represented uh, the, the, the bread they ate that night. 
the, the leaven with a picture of sin, the unleavened bread, a picture of the sin that God removed, the wine, a picture of the blood that was on the doorpost, and of course the lamb, a remnant of what they had killed for their salvation. They would celebrate this every year through the days of Moses and Joshua, the days of King David, the days of King Solomon. But Israel as a nation would face some hard times as time would pass, coming under bondage again from 600 B.C. to 60 B.C. They fought and fought to be free, being in bondage for decades and then getting free again. Rinse and repeat, the armies of Babylon, the armies of Persia, the armies of Greece, they would take over Israel and Israel would fight back and get free again. But around 60 B.C., the fight was over. Rome came in, an empire like none before, and put Israel's independence to an end. From 60 B.C. to 33 A.D., Rome allowed Israel to celebrate its festivals, to pretend to be independent, but every year during Passover, Rome would show up to rub it in Israel's face as to who was really in charge. While the Jews celebrated Passover, Rome would crucify some of the Jewish prisoners so that Passover's promise would be overshadowed by Rome's power. So this is why the Jews were especially hopeful that Jesus might be their king. They thought that God would send a Messiah who would be a new Moses, who would give them a new exodus from the power of Rome. But little did they know, Jesus had not come to be that kind of king, but he had absolutely come to deliver them from the power that had them in bondage. But it wasn't Rome. Rome was indeed a ferocious beast, but it was nothing compared to sin and death. And once and for all, Jesus had come to liberate the Jews and the world from its real enemies, sin and the grave. As, before we leave, I'd like for you to turn with me over to Luke chapter 22. And I want to read to you the words that Jesus said as he sat down with the Jews to celebrate Passover. And now that you know the story behind it all, you understand why Jesus' words on that night were especially important and would have caught them off guard based on what they believed Passover to be about and what they thought it might would mean for their future. Luke 22, verse number 14 when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. So he, they, they cut the lamb's leg and they divided the meat and then they broke the bread. And I, he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he said, to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So underline my body. Likewise, he took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So no longer is this the cup of the lamb's blood. No longer is this the body of the lamb that was slain in Egypt. But now this is my body. Now this is my blood. And now this meal is not about what happened in Egypt. 
under Moses. This is now about what's about to happen with me for the whole world. No longer would this meal be about a lamb in Egypt, but it would be about the son of man and sin and death. Jesus spoke of a new covenant. The Jews had long been promised a new covenant would come. A covenant that would be etched not in stone, but in blood. And Jesus would etch the covenant into writing with his own flesh. You know what happened. The Romans took nails and they etched the covenant's terms in his hands and in his feet. They took a spear and they pierced him in the side. The covenant was etched in Jesus' flesh. It was sealed in Jesus' blood. Like a lamb led before the slaughter, he would lay himself at the foot of God's altar. You know the story. He goes to a garden and prays after this. And he prays, Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. The cup of God's wrath. The cup of suffering. The cup of the cross. But not my will, but your will be done. He prayed that prayer three times. But afterwards, he accepted God's will. He accepted what we deserve to suffer so that we might be unconditionally accepted by God. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was denied by his closest followers. He was left alone under Jewish custody until the Romans would wake up the next morning and decide what to do with Jesus. Look down at chapter 22, verse number 63. The men who held Jesus after he surrendered to them, who held Jesus, mocked him and beat him. Having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and said, prophesy who is the one who struck you. And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders and the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council. Can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, being led by these people? If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then they said, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And that's where we'll end the story for now. The son of God in custody. Waiting for Rome to decide what to do with him. But even though he was in custody, he was very much in control, wasn't he? We know the importance of what happened on Friday, but in a sense, the solution had already been made. The solution had already been provided. Passover had already taken place. God chose to pass over us and selected Jesus on that night to bear our sins and pay our debt. The new Passover. This is my cup. This is my body. 
the new Passover, God passed over us and selected Jesus. You know why Israel celebrated Passover every year? Because they believed that was God choosing them once and for all and nothing would ever undo it. And that's true in terms of God's purpose for Israel. But think about this. We celebrate Easter every year knowing that God made a choice for us before we ever got to accept it for ourselves. Pretty risky on God's part, isn't it? God chose Jesus and passed over us. And if we come under the blood of Jesus, God will say to us, I see the blood and judgment will pass over you and salvation will always belong to you. We'll get to the rest of the story Friday night. But thank y'all for being here this evening. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the Passover. Thank you for what it stood for originally. But thank you most of all for what it stands for now, the new Passover, where you chose to pass over our sins. You chose to pass over us. And you selected Jesus to die in our place. Lord, thank you for the meaning of this season. Thank you for the gift of salvation. I pray that we all would make the most of this week and pay our attention to you and give glory to you. Lord, we would have no hope if not for a choice that you made. Long before we ever got to say yes to you, you said yes about us. You said, I want them in my family and I'll pay the highest price for them. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.